and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher, another exciting edition of Sandoz and the Sidekick. Get you ready for homecoming weekend, and boy, basketball season is upon us. Simon Harris, his team scores a lot of points, or at least they did uh, last night. Now, not that we're going to talk a whole lot of basketball yet, but women's exhibition last night. Tomorrow night we will have radio coverage of the men's exhibition. But what we're going to talk about a majority today is going to be ETSU VMI homecoming, the battle of top 25 teams. It's made some national headlines as far as FCS goes. As a matchup to watch out as a lot of playoff implications go. And this is similar to what we saw in the spring. Chase Anderson, Mike Gallagher with you. In the spring, a situation where both teams battling for Southern Conference Championship, Bucks thought, and correctly so, they go and win that. They held their own destiny. They could have knocked off the Mercer Bears. Now, they did not, and VMI was able to knock off Mercer the week after that or two weeks later, whatever it was, and then they were the Southern Conference champion and in the FCS playoffs. So it's a similar situation. I don't know. I asked Coach Sanders. Of course, he did the usual Coach Sanders. Advantage, disadvantage, simple reason that these two teams played a meaningful game with virtually the same people, minus, I guess, Seth Morgan's had more starts, Tyler Rydell instead of Brock Landis, but Rydell's had more starts. Other than that, it seems like this is a very quick turnaround or the old run-up back, if you will. Yeah, and last year's game or last season's game, whatever you want to call it, the spring game was a great contest. I mean, the last play of any consequence being the gigantic... um, I still don't know what happened. For lack of a better word, cluster blank that it was. I mean, there was so many things, like seven or eight different things happening at the same time. Now, it seemed like at the end the referees got it right, and ETSU went on to win 24-20. to If you didn't see the game, don't remember the game, it was that, like, fourth and five, and a little slant to Jacob Harris, but there was offensive pass interference. They ended up calling the pass interference, so they called the pass interference. It was a catch-or-no-catch situation, too. Catch, take a step and a half, maybe make a football move, ball strip, going the other way, Carondelens, touchdown! As much as Carondelens' touchdown against Vanderbilt was also a touchdown, called back much like the one against VMI was. But there were things that happened after that in the game, too, but none of them really mattered. That was a play, fourth and five, on I think ETS was like 30-something, and you're down by four with like a minute some left. And if you convert there, with the way that offense moves the ball, now they didn't move the ball as well against ETSU in that game, but they're coming off back-to-back 45-plus point games for the first time in, I quizzed you on this the other day, 1922, yeah, so 100 years since they've scored 45 or more in back-to-back games. This offense is, to me, more lethal than it was in the spring. I agree that, specifically up front, the offensive line, large pieces are back pretty much everywhere. And Randy Sanders called this group maybe the most improved of any position group in the entire Southern Conference. And talking to Scott Wackenheim, he agreed, not surprisingly so. Um, really, there's only one player on that line that didn't play a ton last year. I think the difference is Corey Brady has established himself. Now, from what we understand, you're going to see all three backs, Rice, Brady, Raymond. It's not just going to be Brady, um, who was coming off an injury going into last week's game, which is why he didn't get as many carries, had just five. But we know that he and Fred Davis are probably the best, uh, quote-unquote, one-back system backs in the league. Um, But you're going to see Rice. You're going to see Raymond. Rice is more the bruiser. Raymond's the speed guy. And then Brady kind of does it all. Um, and he's also going to be the uh, kick returner. He's a very good kick returner as well. Uh, and at receiver, it's not just Jacob Harris. It has been that, really, for the last couple of years. Um, Leroy Thomas has established himself, reestablished, really, because you remember 
Jay a couple of years ago. He was actually leading VMI in catches before he tore his ACL, missed the last couple of games. Uh, I believe it was the 2019 season. Uh, and Michael Jackson's coming off a career day, 211 yards. So those three, it's a tremendous trio. There's no question about it. Um, they have weapons for days and days and days. And Randy Sanders has made it very clear this week on the coach's show last night, in his press conference on Monday, not going to be able to kick field goals and win. Not going to be able to keep it in the 20s and win. This is going to be a shootout. You're going to need points. And to me, reading between the lines, that says that the Buccaneers may take some more chances on Saturday. And truly, they, I think, have taken more chances this year offensively. It could be even more so this Saturday with trying to hit the big play, being in, I think, fourth and short or medium situations and going for it in certain parts of the field. Um, I think they're going to live a bit dangerously because they're under the assumption, and probably correctly so, that this is going to be a high-scoring game, maybe race to 40, or hey, maybe even 45, as VMI has shown in the last couple weeks. Well, I'm going to get to that a little bit later as far as my bold predictions, but last year, I mean, it was a game where VMI was able to move the football 382 yards against CTSU. Low for for them, though, if we're honest. Harris had four catches for 72 yards on the first drive. If you and then and then really only had I think he had three catches for like twenty four yards the rest of the game maybe twenty five yards if my math if I can do quick math but so each has to be able to slow down but here was the biggest difference the last three possessions for VMI there was a big third and eight sack by Jalen Porter you know as he was in back then on the recon package there he was again so he has a big sack one of uh, a few that he had last season their second to last possession. They had the bad snap, if you remember. Morgan wasn't looking. They snapped the ball about 20 yards behind him, took him out of a, uh, from ETSU territory back to VMI territory, you know, fourth and whatever. They had to punt. It was fourth and like 30. And then their last offensive possession was the strip. Tyree Robinson gets the ball away and, you know, ends up being a turnover. So VMI is probably sitting there watching the film for this game and getting a little jacked up because I could see them – like a lot of teams, having a game circled, it's like we had our chances. We didn't make enough plays. They turned it over a couple of times. I don't know if you remember the Elijah Huzzy had a ridiculous interception as usual. Uh, and then we had the, the, the fumble at the end of the game. And so I think VMI is looking into that. Now, why I think they're scoring more points and they're more dangerous is because they're not centered around Jacob Harris in the pass game. Leroy Thomas leads the team in receptions. Michael Jackson leads the team in yards. Now, in the red zone, Jacob Harris leads the team in touchdowns. So, to me, that's as dangerous. You've got three guys with 38 or more catches, and so they're able to not just move Harris around and you go, okay, that's where the ball's going to go or that's where the play's going to go. They're able to trust guys. And the thing about Michael Jackson, you know, I know he had two big catches against Chattanooga, and they were virtually just throw it up and see if he can make a play. I mean, they weren't great routes. He didn't beat everybody. He had one long play where he did – beat a guy off the line and was wide open. The other two, though, were just jump balls. I mean, then they threw a jump ball to him in the end zone against Sanford to win the game. So, you know, he's coming to his own. I think anytime you get a tight end in that type system that can catch the football, I think it's just dangerous because they get lost in a run-and-shoot type, you know, slinging around, uh, fast break on grass, whatever terminology you want to use for these type systems. So I think it's, it's very interesting to see with all the weapons, and Seth Morgan has gotten better because obviously he got hurt, and they had Colin Ironside in. And then midway through the Citadel game, they brought him back, so he missed virtually two games. I, I know 
in a weird way, it's like one and a half, but it was the second series, and like the second play of the second series, he got knocked out against Cornell. Then he didn't play the next game. Then he against Citadel, he came in third quarter, in first, second possession of third quarter, and played that half. But he missed that significant time. It seemed like it's taken a little bit to get back, but now all of a sudden they've been able to make plays down the field. That win against VMI, first road win against the top ten team since 1997 for ETSU. And we talk about the similarities and all the people being back, but remember the thing we talked about preseason with VMI is their defense only had six of 11 starters back, which for this year is low. That may be normal for most years, but considering the COVID year going from spring to fall, that's actually a pretty low amount. Uh, Just one of their top five tacklers. I've just been impressed by how they've seamlessly gone from playing their best defense in forever, because that's what it was last year, to playing their best offense in forever. And you mentioned the dynamic nature of the receivers, and we've talked about more balance. They're averaging 34 points per game this year. That's their most since 2008. After last year, they gave up just 21 per game. That was their fewest in 17 years. And defensively this year, you have to be honest, they are a little bit down or I guess you'd say last year they were a little bit up. This year they've just regressed to the mean, right? We we expect VMI to not be that stout defensive side. If they were every year, then they'd be conference champions every year because their offense is just that good. It hasn't mattered, though, that they're down, giving up 31 per night because the offense has picked up where the defense left off last year. And I'm excited for this game because for ETSU – I don't think you call it their biggest challenge all year because Chattanooga, we've talked about it in nauseam, I think you and me agree, is the best team outside of ETSU. Or if you think, I know you don't think this, but if you think for listeners that Chattanooga is better, well, ETSU and Chattanooga are the top two teams. But this is going to really be a litmus test for BMI because they crushed Mercer. Now, you and me don't think Mercer are a top three team in the league. I think they're right outside, number four, even though they're number one in the standings right now. They still haven't played Chattanooga and ETSU. They destroyed Mercer. That was a weird game. Got a couple of turnovers early, capitalized on those, two minutes in, 14-0. What is VMI against the true top teams in the league? Now, they beat Chattanooga in overtime, 37-34 at home. Fair enough. Great win. Great win, without a doubt. Now you're on the road, a place where VMI historically, at least, has not been good. Now, it's hard to compare their history against the last couple of years because this is really their best two-year stretch in program history. Um, first conference title since 1977 last year. So I'm excited because, for me, this is VMI's toughest game of the season. Of course, probably outside Kent State, right? FBS got beat 60-10, to 10, but FCS game. This is their biggest test because ETSU defensively so strong. Offensively have made such strides. The teams are the exact same in overall points this year. League point differential – and league record. I think this is going to be a heck of a contest. And while there are a lot of players back from last year's game, I think it's going to be very different than last year's game. Before I touch on their defense, I just want to throw a quick note that Seth Morgan coming into his own, he's 10th on the single-game total offense for the Southern Conference and broke a school record with 525 yards last week, threw for 472, ran for 53. So the third time somebody's come in the top 10, this year, the other two being Rogan Wells and Liam Welch in the same weekend. Of course, we don't really talk about the Liam Welch weekend, other than ETSU came up with a win after giving up seven hundred and whatever yards. But the other thing, defensively, I would like to say, and here's what I'm going to be curious: 
We know if Coach Sanders sees a lot of people in the box, he's going to throw the ball, right? DMI has stacked the box all season. If you watch their games, they are bringing everybody. They are 7-8 in the box. They are still giving up 237 and a half yards a game. They are giving up 5.2 yards per carry. They've given up 27 rushing touchdowns. So my question is to Mike Gallagher, do you think Randy Sanders is still going to throw the ball because he is a numbers guy? Hey, they've got eight. means you've got to make plays over the top. They're daring us. we got to hit them. And they did hit some plays last year with Brock Landis. Will Huzzy a couple of jump balls down the field. My question is, do we see a lot of throwing where me and you, and again, we've never played coach except for, you know, on a PlayStation or Xbox or, you know, for me, Nintendo. Uh, if you look at that, we would run the ball. We would, I would want to have VMI, even with a seven or eight, prove to me you're going to stop this. And, yes, I would throw, but we saw a lot of throwing at Furman where we thought ETSU could run the ball. How do you see Coach Sanders handling this? Balanced. And he's reiterated this week that the offense starts with Quay and Jacob. Now, he's also said you need points. I think the mistake would be to just throw, throw, throw. Correct. As the Buccaneers did against Furman for a lot of the game. Once they settled down, figured out, hey, even if guys are running wide open over the field, we got to run it. We can run it for six, seven yards carry. You're going to be able to against VMI. You've talked about all year struggling to tackle, not being able to wrap up on the first hit. You can't do that against Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors. You are in major, major trouble. And I think establishing that run early, being the more – traditional team, as Coach Sanders has always said he wants to be, having that balance, running to set up the pass, and sticking with what they do well is the right thing to do if you get caught up in a track meet. I don't like it. I think ETSU can score with VMI. I really do. But I think that if they establish the run, play it at their pace, it's going to be hard for VMI to adjust. I think either way this is going to be a close game. What a shock. Southern Conference game involving ETSU, right? What a shock. But seems like you're in agreement as well. Don't go out and try and huck it around. Because, as Coach Sanders has said, this week, every week, starts with Quay and Jacob. And, as you said, almost 250 yards per game allowed on the ground. That's an area that the Buccaneers can exploit. And I hope they do to the fullest of the extent that they can this week. And I'm hoping the defense can get some type of short you know, three and out, four or five plays. They only had one, well, yeah, so they had one three and out the entire time last time. They gave up uh, a couple double-digit drives, including the 17-play, 76-yard, 925, which is uh, in forever for VMI on a drive. So uh, I'm hoping ETSU can get more possessions. You know, last year they had ten possessions. You know, they've made good because you're talking about they, they – Made missed a field goal, so they had a couple scoring chances there, and they had three touchdowns. They had five of the ten chances to score. They had the one turnover, the interception late, uh, midway late fourth quarter. But other than that, they did a nice job of you know either kicking an extra point, kicking a field goal, or punting. And I think that'll be another big key. They cannot turn it over. But I believe the yards after contact that if you can neutralize Stone Snyder some way and and run you know different different blocking schemes to contain him, then I feel like the run game will be there. If you can create some turnovers that VMI has, I think they're minus five in the turnover margin. 
ETSU's plus six, so that bodes well for the Bucks. Now, every game's different, but if they can get a couple of turnovers, one turnover, something flip the field, and I believe the return game for ETSU. VMI struggled mightily last couple years versus ETSU in a return game, and they certainly have struggled at times this year in a return game, and that could be an opportunity where ETSU could flip the field quite a bit. Other things, including that last-ranked run defense in the league, VMI also has the fewest sacks in the league, just six. And that tells me that the defensive line is just susceptible to being pushed around. And they're overcorrecting by sending more bodies up front because they know that the defensive line can't hold their own. They gave up single-digit sacks last year despite throwing it more than any other team in the SOCON. They've given up 19 sacks this year, most in the SOCON. While they want to get the ball out quick, I think Coach Sanders hit on it last night. You have to disrupt Seth Morgan. More so, to me, a lot of those are covered sacks because they do want to get it out quick. The guy isn't open. you got to eat it and you go down. If you can have that tight coverage on those receivers, which is very much easier said than done, uh, and force them into those big negative plays and continue the trend that they've shown this year and giving up those sacks, that would be absolutely huge. Uh, so winning the battle up front offensively is going to be big. Winning the battle up front defensively, as is every week, but specifically this week, is going to be big. Um, now, the Bucks, we can't forget this, have given up, what, 11 sacks in the last two games combined? So you've got a big bounce-back chance for the offensive line because they were exposed a bit the last couple of weeks by Devon Maxwell and then by Furman's kind of team effort. And did VMI see on tape from those couple of games something to exploit this weekend? If the offensive line is able to bounce back, I think that will go a long way. And again, we talked about not maybe getting caught up in the throw, 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 but when you're going to throw you're going to have time if you are able to be the team you were those first six games and against a lacking front three, four, five, depending on what VM, what look VMI shows, um, there's no better chance for the offensive line to be good this week because, uh, again, just six sacks, I mean, that's, that's not good for that defensive front, you know, seven, if you want to call it that, or eight sometimes for you. ETSU coming off a bye had a chance to, and, and Coach – Try to press them a little bit last night about getting back from, ah, no, nah, we're fine. But I uh, talked to a few other coaches. They got back to some technique, got back to some things, especially in the line. Now, they didn't necessarily work the offensive alignment a lot because most of the starters, as you would imagine, was given – they played eight straights. One thing, if you played three or four and you're trying to just find stuff, but you've been successful, so it was just, you know, let's just do some drills without contact. Let's do some things. Let's give guys – some time off, let's get reps. I thought it was interesting, you know, he, he mentioned Xavion Hood, who on his second college play was able to come up with a sack. And I think talking about finding that, I know the depth charts change. They've got some new receivers that we've not seen before that uh, is listed as backups that could possibly get in and both, you know, but could still keep a red shirt. So it's one of those deals where, you know, they can play. I think defensive line gets an uplift because Cayman Cody for the first time this fall will be able to go. Uh, I think he had foot surgery um, during the spring late last year. So this is his first game. Now it's his first game. And, you know, I know Coach tried to tamp tamp down expectations. And Billy Taylor kept giving me, Jay, it's the first game I know we're going to get. We know we're going to get. Well, I know you, at least you're going to get. A guy knows where he's supposed to be. Now, does he – can he fire off the ball? Will he have some push? You know, there's some things like you just – you have to get in the game to figure it out. But I would like to think – that came in Cody, who's had some experience, if he got 15, 20 plays. And I think Trey Richburg has been great. 
for what he has been asked to do. But week three, they looked at him on the offensive line and said, we need you to go to defense, and he's tried to learn. Having came and Cody there with Timmy Dorsey, I think is huge. Zion Alexander has a shot of coming back. If he comes back, how does that affect the nickel, or do they still leave Odomegwu in um, and just bump Elijah Huzzy over? And then just having came and Cody there, now you can you know, put Elijah on Pinkleton, Max Evans, Devin Brantley, Rodney Wright. Now you're feeling pretty good about all guys that have played that need to be fresh in that attack that VMI wants to do. So I'm a little excited about some of the injury things that's coming up. Receiver-wise, we'll see how much those guys actually kind of mingle in. We've seen, you know, Quinn Caballero a little bit, but for the most part it's been whoever started we've seen the majority of. And I don't know that they need to to mess with that a whole lot, but I do know they were able to get a look at some younger guys who could help. I think Xavion Hood could get some extra snaps just because Jalen Porter, you know, has got to sit the first half in case anyone's forgot. But he'll sit the first half. Zach West will get the start. I think that's a big key because depending on how the defense is playing, you get a lift with him coming back in the second half. So that was the one time I think Coach took the ball, and that was a different scenario. And, and I like Jalen Porter, but I think we would agree in this year player a little bit more of a game changer. And they actually took the ball to, just to try to shorten uh, the defensive possessions without Nasir Player on the field. I don't think they'll do that with Jalen Porter, but I'm excited for that. And I think moving the chains, VMI's had a hard time getting people off the field on third down. ETSU, six yards and under, is 65% this year conversion rate. That is incredible. And so if they can just, uh, you know, and I think last year the game plan for Quay Holmes, now it was different. Didn't have Jacob Sailors, right? That's probably another thing we should talk about in last year's game. Jacob Sailors was injured, did not play against VMI. You do get him for this game. But Coach kept saying, because we kept wondering why Quay Holmes wasn't maybe breaking something outside or doing some of his normal stuff, and Coach kept telling him, hey, we need three- and four-yard gains. You know, we don't need the big hit. In this game, and I thought it was interesting that Quay Holmes accepted that and didn't try to get numbers and went the thing. So, it wouldn't shock me if you don't see a lot of the backs bouncing outside or doing some other things, just sort of getting the three, four, five, six yards. Now, if they break it up the middle, sure, you know, obviously they're going to keep running. But I would be shocked if you see them trying to dance and bounce around, that the game plan will be just get it north as much as you can. We've talked about the offense for VMI, obviously. Very good. Defense leaves some opportunities for ETSU to – Sure, maybe get two or three, but I think there will be a couple of big plays from that run game this week because that's what VMI is susceptible to. Uh, the turnover battle you talked about at ETSU has been much better in that this year. That minus three, second worst in the SOCON for VMI, and that's part of their defensive issue as well. They've only forced ten. That's, that's just not enough. They don't have the ball hawks like they did last year outside of Stone Snyder. So we know offense, defense for VMI, special teams-wise, they flipped the field really well. Jack Culbreth is fifth in the nation in punting average, 46 yards per punt. They kick it well in terms of scoring. Jerry Rice, 13 of 15 in field goals this season. Had one block from 50, missed from 35. Otherwise, has been perfect. Made all his PATs as well. And BMI is great in the red zone on both sides, which will be a fun matchup because ETSU is great in the red zone on both sides. Both teams top three in red zone offense and red zone defense. This is something I didn't realize, bigger picture. And if you want to mix in something else specifically about this game, feel free because I. there's just some oddities of the rest of the schedule for ETSU. It obviously does start this week with VMI. Definitely oddities in the schedule. 
I think the one thing <clears throat> focus. I, each issue is zero and three off five weeks. Okay, so and I don't want to overstate that because sometimes it's who you play, and that the weird spring double buy too, where that's odd. Right, and and granted they had a natural buy after the Sanford game, and then um, it turned into a double buy, and then you played Furman. But they came off a bye, played in 2018 Wofford, at Wofford, Wofford's league champs. It, it, that was a tough game. 19, it was the Thursday night 16-13 game. If you want to include the, the Furman spring game, which I did just for the sake of this 0-3, that's another three-point game as it usually is. Focus. I'm kind of curious. Championship teams have certain makeups. The oddity of having... I think the late break, when you win, is great. When you lose, I think it changes everything because we've seen ETSU have a late break a couple times. Um, and one was 2018, right? They had the late break and then came back, and that was Sanford, actually. Not yeah, Wofford, I'm sorry. I just set the record. D- right. So that was a situation where – he was trying to do some things. Sanford, again, was right there trying to get in the playoffs, everything else. But I think championship teams use that bye week and get going. And I think ETSU, proof that they're close but they're not there yet, could change to they're there on how this game goes. I think I want to see the focus. And they came to the VMI week last year – Buddy, they came out from the second that game went, and that turned into, if I can quote you know, Mike Young, that was a high-level college football game, or he would say college basketball game, but it was a high-level mid-major, you know, slash basketball FCS football game that was entertaining on all levels. It looked like a game that deserved to be nationally recognized. I want to see that again this year. I think the fans with homecoming and what the fans have done at home have been tremendous. I can't wait to feel the electricity in the building. The start of the game coming off a of bye week has been a little bit troublesome for ETSU. And, again, the double bye firm, and, yes, they jumped out to the lead. And so I just want to see. Well, there's a few things. I think there's an odd thing about every bye week. So, unfortunately, I think it most closely resembles this year, 2018, because you have the late bye. You're on a great run. You've got championship in your sights. And then Sanford was just quite honestly the better team pretty much that entire day in 2018. You hope that isn't the case against VMI. It's not the exact same situation. You've still got three games to play. It's not like you're playing for an outright championship this week like you were in 2018. 2019, you had the weird Thursday game after the bye against Chattanooga. So was it really as much of a bye? Yeah, and it just throws your schedule off, right? Like, things aren't the same. And so then you had the double bye, and that's also strange. So – 2018, right before the last game of the regular season, 2019, the Thursday game after the bye, and then the double bye. Every single bye week's been weird, and there's nothing really weird about this year. I don't think. I can't find anything. I I don't know. It's weird. Just that, you know, if you had your druthers, I think every team in America, you know, an 11-game schedule would have it after game five or six. Sure. If if you're really splitting hairs, that would be the almost the midway point. You don't want to have it too early or too late, but sometimes just the – and the way – we've talked about this many times before, but the way the Southern Conference schedules is around their money games. And so your buys are going to be all over the place, depending on when your non-conference games that you schedule, your money games are scheduled, 
And then trying to figure out how in the world to get every league game in because that's that's not an easy plug-and-play uh, scenario. So it's going to fall at different times. It, it fell at the end of October. I think I said November. Technically, is Halloween was the bye week, right? So, But still, you're, you're going to have three games. To me, though, you have enough time. It seems like a couple of guys are coming back from injury. So you've seen ETSU kind of lose and lose. Now they add uh, possibly three pieces. I know Rodney Wright was banged up, was, was questionable at the end of the last game. Now it seems he'll be back. It seems Cayman Cody's going to see his first action. And if Zion Alexander comes back, then you had Jalen Porter in the second half. I mean, you basically got four guys back on defense. Um, and, and obviously Porter's was an injury, but you get four guys back, you know, second half. You get three guys back in the first half. And what that can do for that. I want to see the energy. I want to see the urgency a little bit early. Now, I know this team is calm. They never seem to get panicked. You know, they've been great. You know, if we didn't talk about it on – I know we didn't talk about today, but 17 touchdowns given up. They've answered 11 of them. Mm -hmm. So they've been able to, you know, whenever they've been hit with adversity, for the most part, I mean, it's a heck of a percentage. I bet if you look across country, that's got to be one of the highest percentages of you give up seven points and you come back and answer with a score, mainly touchdowns. Nine of the 11 were touchdowns. There's two field goals. But they were able to at least get some momentum back. And to me, ETSU in the red zone has been incredible. And the red zone defense, which we only seem to talk about when everybody gets in the red zone. But the red zone defense for ETSU has been incredibly efficient on not just stopping teams from getting touchdowns, but turning the ball over and it turning into zero points. And so I'll be curious to see, you know, how the ETSU defense handles Seth Morgan. Can they get some pressure to him? He's prone to make mistakes. ETSU has obviously been very good at ball hawking. On the flip side, I want to see the offensive line just dominate the first quarter. I really want to see them set the tone and just turn into some road graders. And then if the game plan is to throw a little more, keep Tyler Rodell upright, give him lanes to throw in, right? That's the other thing you need to do. And for Rodell, just keep making good decisions. I mean, he's made a lot of good decisions. I know we had the – Interception, you know, and the fumbles at Chad seem to correct themselves a little bit at Furman. So let's see if he continues to do that again in what is a huge three-game stretch. Six interceptions for the Buccaneers on plays starting inside their own 25. So approaching the red zone. Four of those in the red zone, six of them from the red zone plus five yards against opponents. Here's the oddity in the schedule I wanted to get to. This is a big game, obviously. But even if ETSU wins and beats Western next week, it's going to come down to the game against Mercer to determine the league champion regardless of result. Same thing is true if the Bucks go 1-1 one and one over the next two. The only thing they can't do to have it come down to the last match game, that's what I'm talking about, last game, is lose their next two. I didn't realize that until I thought about it earlier this week. Okay, well, Mercer's 5-1. and one. Okay, if the Bucks win this week, they'd be 5-1. and one. There's only two games left. You play each other for the tie break. Right, so if one team's six and one, the other's five and two, it doesn't matter to have that one game lead because the winner's going to have the tiebreak. And so, unless the Bucks lose these next two, then they are still in position at least against Mercer. Now we know that Chattanooga has a tiebreak over the Bucks, and so they've got one, and they're playing Washington. Well, you could still you still get a share of the conference championship. You won't get the outright. But right. you still can win out, and you are no at worst. Yes. And this is what happened in 2018. They knew that they would 
have a chance of being the conference champions in 2018, either outright or shared. A loss was a share. 18, if you win, it's the outright. You yes. end up getting the share. But my point is, then you're going to have to sweat it out if you don't get the tie break, the auto bid to the NCAAs. Yeah, no, well, not only that, because I, I think SOCON is booked, too. I think they're getting enough steam that there's actually several now brackets are putting three teams with a fourth team on the bubble out. Now, a couple of teams are going to play each other. So, depending on the results, obviously, it still could be two. And certainly, if you're sitting there and, let's say, you lost one of those games and you've got the two losses and another team's got the two losses, and let's say VMI and Chat went out and they each have one, right? ETSU beats Mercer, they got two, but VMI beat ETSU, so they got two. Now you're sitting there and you're like, okay, is the tie break this important? Is the FBS win important? Mercer only played ten games. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you don't want to sit there and go, are Correct. we really going to be the third Correct. team in? That is going to be – I go back to the baseball analogy where we knew in – what was it, 2010? We knew that the A-Sun was going to get three, should get four, but they probably weren't going to give them the fourth. And the one game between ETSU and Jacksonville, because they were the two that were likely going to be one of them left out, it came down to one game, a two-to-one game, and then you sat there and you watched it. And as soon as you saw ja- – and Jacksonville was one of, like, the fourth team to pop up to. And as soon as they popped up on, like, the first regional, just a sick feeling came over you as we, we kind of just had a mini-watch party, not for the public. And we all just kind of looked at each other like, there's no way we're getting in. And then you had to sit there and suffer through the next teams to not get in. And there were more teams, so at least the football will be uh, a yeah, slightly quicker football, death, yeah, right? right? Well, and so that's my point is if you have the tie and you've got that last game and you beat Mercer, right? Because, again, unless you lose the next two, that's what it's going to come down to, regardless of what Mercer does. You beat them. You're, let's say, 6-2, and two, right? Let's say Chattanooga loses again. Let's say there's a bunch of teams, right? If you're in a tie, you want the tie break. And right now, Mercer's on the top of the league, and they play Mercer in the last week. That's why I think that that factoid is important. Now, again, Chattanooga is probably going to win this week. They've obviously still got um, Mercer on the schedule. I think Mercer is not up to the task of their last two weeks, personally. Of course, they got the bye week this week. There's a ton of different scenarios that can happen. All I'm saying is, while these games are big, let's not lose sight of the ultimate goal, ETSU. Yes, you want a conference t- title. I, I personally, I get that coaches and administration members, you know, we, we don't want to share a title. Well, guess what? A shared title is going to go down just the same. You're still going to put a banner up. It's To me, no one's going to look back and say, oh, well, they shared it. It doesn't count as much. It's, it's still a title. But the important part of that is the auto bid to the FCS playoffs because ultimately you want to continue your season. You want to go to the postseason. You want a shot at the national championship. And so what you do these next couple weeks is important. What you do against Mercer, I believe, is more important. Not to minimize this game because it is huge. And it seems as if I was kind of doing the quick you know, look through the schedule. I'm like, ah, I, th- I think there's only one win you need. I think you just need to win one of the next three. Now, quickly – you, Kevin Brown, David Fox, everybody. I don't know. I think you need two. So I think to be safe, you need two wins. One, you're really going to be sweating. I think you can still get in with one personally, depending on how things shake out. I don't think the SoCon's going to get four. So I think if you're in that Well, I think three, you would need, if, if you, let, let's play the, the sure. one-win game. Sure. If the loss is to, let's just say VMI to start with, 
And VMI's already played Mercer, Chat, and ETSU. They've got Furman, but the chances of them losing another one is going to be a little down, I think. So they're actually in the driver's seat for the conference championship. Because they beat Chattanooga. They beat Chattanooga. If Chattanooga can get by Mercer at Mercer, in which uh, I think out of the seven games, it looks like Mercer has a one-game lead. I don't know if that's taken into account the spring matchup or not. But either way, Mercer won. It would either be 5-3 to three or 4-3 to three all-time lead over Chattanooga. So they've had a little bit of Chattanooga's number, which last year I think he threw out because Chattanooga played like one guy. Yes, correct. But still, and they muffed like seven punts inside their own five-yard line or something and still barely lost. So, I, But if VMI wins, I think, okay, they're in. Chattanooga beats Mercer, I think they're in. Now you're going to be the third team no matter what you do. And so then you got to pray, is there three teams? Now, if you beat VMI, I think it flips a little. You're a third team as long as you beat Mercer. As long as you beat Mercer. Right. right. Uh, if you lose both those games, if you lose to VMI and Mercer, and, and depending on what Mercer does, even if Mercer lost to Chattanooga, they got two losses in the ETSU center, three losses, there's no way there. If, if you lose one to Western, I think you're out because people just look at Western. Mm-hmm. And, and even if they're playing well – and let's say they won five in a row to end it, they're going to look at them and go five and six and they're non-conference. I mean, it's just I don't think anyone's going to look at Western and give them the, well, hey, they won five in a row. I think they're just going to look at it quicker and go, well, they lost to Western at five and six Let, let's, or four and whatever. Move on. But if the SoCon gets three in, I, I, we don't have to talk about this extensively, but if the SoCon gets three in and you beat Mercer and you're that third team. Yeah, if you the only scenario that would – I think would Lose help the as next if you two and then beat Mercer would be the scenario I'm talking about in that case. God, no, but that's still. I think when you lost to Western. So, <laughs> so do you think then the SoCon only gets two in that? Case? I do. Wow. I do. Okay. Uh, I think if you lose to Western, I think I think if you split, you know, if you maybe, you know, depending on how it worked out, if you were to lose to Mercer VMI with the win there, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's going to be tough to get three in either way. I, I just. Okay. I, I just have to see. I mean, I guess if ETSU beat the best scenario probably is if ETSU beats VMI, VMI, ETSU, and Chat went out. That that would if you want to get three in. If you're not worried about winning, you know, um, ETSU would share the championship. They technically would be the the two team, um, which you could still get a buy. That's the crazy part. If you ETSU were to win out, you could still get a buy. It's happened many a times in FCS that the conference champion did not get the buy because the whole body of work was better by the other team. And for ETSU at 10-1 and one, compared to, what is that, a three-loss Chattanooga team, and ETSU's beaten an FBS team, and the fact that you lost to Chattanooga arch-rival on the road in a rivalry game, I think it's very easy to say if one of these teams is going to get the bye, it would be the 10-1 and one team over the 8-3 and three team. And I think because it's weighted on the FBS that that's actually not a bad scenario for ETSU is if they won out. Again, you look at Chattanooga went out. And then if it just happens VMI wins out, yes, you're upset ETSU didn't get the conference championship, but you're talking about three teams getting the SOCON. You start to put a little more respect on the SOCON's name. And ETSU would still be more in line to either host or to get a bye because there is no mythical NFL, hey, you've won your division to automatic home game. That's not how the FCS playoffs works at all. There are many conference champions 
that go on the road in the second-place team or a tie for a championship gets a home game or a bye and moves on. You do have the conference winner get the auto bid, but you're saying the team after, if they have much like the scenario that you're talking about, if you are awaiting that Vanderbilt win that much more and your only loss if you're ETSU is to Chattanooga, but because you have that, I mean, literally no other losses and a Power 5 win, you think they finish above, at least in the seedings, rankings for the FCS, regardless of the auto bid going to Chattanooga. Absolutely, because you, the one loss versus three losses is big. The FBS is big. The actual rankings that they run out there, ETSU is above in every category. So I believe that it would. it's very easy that ETSU would have a higher seed. Now, if you're outside the top eight, I think ETSU would get a home game. And I'm not saying Chat wouldn't get a home game. And then from that point, you're going to a seeded place. It doesn't matter. But when they end up ranking one through 24 – ETSU would still be above because that, that, that's how it is. We've seen that many a times before in FCS, and it's not uncommon um, that that's sort of how it plays out. So it's not a big – it's nice to have a shared conference championship, and, yes, you would hate to share it and, and lose to chat and chat be the winner, but it's not the, the worst thing ever because if both teams won out and look strong at the end of the year, and, heck, if VMI loses a close game to ETSU – and wins out, they've still got an opportunity to look strong as well and be that third team to get in. And so I think that's the best scenario for the league. I don't see any scenario where if you're an ETSU fan, if you lost to to VMI, beat Mercer, you know, there's no scenario where I think Mercer, VMI, and Chet all get in. I think there's a very good scenario that ETSU – Chat Mercer could get in, ETSU Chat VMI get in. But ETSU right now has the best resume of any Southern Conference team, and if they were to drop a couple of games and go out, I don't know that the other teams can make up ground to have the third team in. We're going to do a selection show special. All right. <laughs> what are we talking about? Basketball next? No. No. SoCon preview. SoCon preview. Oh, my gosh. We haven't even talked about any SoCon games. Let our loyalists down. All right. Who can I make fun of? Right after this timeout, San Jose, go to the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery. So there will be no passing the Bears in the Southern Conference standings, but there will be plenty of catching up to them. Uh, by the way, did you know uh, Bears are actually really fast? I was watching some Bear videos this week. No, but I mean, I avoid oh them either way. Gosh. <laughs> but <laughs> if I can't outrun one, I seem to play dead. Usually the only way to okay. catch a Bear is if they're standing still. Well, standing still is like being out of bye. So the Bears out of bye, but because ETSU and VMI are playing, we will have at least one team at 5-1 and one with them, even with... Mercer entering the last two weeks of league play. Um, 
and having two tough opponents. At least for now, they'll be able to say they rest atop the league with at least one other team, and we say at least one other because Chattanooga is playing Wofford. And they can also get to 5-1, and one. and I think you and me are probably in agreement that that may be the ugliest game of the entire Southern Conference season. But we'll talk about that uh, in a second. Now let's talk about it right now. What the heck? How much is Chattanooga going to win by, first and foremost? Over, under, 43. No, I don't think it'll be that bad. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to be that bad. I think it's going to be a shutout. Oh, wow. I just don't know that they're going to have 43. I think it will be a... Because that's not really Chet's way. It's, I think, a 27. I mean, 55-13 against Sanford. Three. That's why I gave it a 43. Uh, Sanford. I mean, I, me and you could score 50 on Sanford. I think you take all Sanford out. So, Wofford's still starting Bryce Corbs in the quarterback, or that's what they did last week. I have not done my digging to see if Jimmy Wyrick and Peyton Derrick are just hurt right now or if they really think Corston is uh, No, I don't know, because the they were warm enough. So. No, they were no, right. not hurt. So, I think the approach is the season's lost. Let's just see if any quarterback in the roster can play because Corson went two for ten last week with 14 yards. Two for ten with 14 yards. They put Kyle Pinnock in at the end of the game. I know Amir Pinnock, the old Minnesota Gopher running back. I do not know Kyle Pinnock. Why they have not put in Pinnock earlier in the year, I guess I'm not sure. Maybe they're just trying to spread everybody out and get everybody time. I thought maybe it was because you would want to give guys red shirts. Let's play guys for X amount of games so they can maintain that year. But Corriston has actually appeared in eight games, so that's a waste. Derek has appeared in six. Wow. So that's a waste. Now, Wyrick only played two. Maybe that's the thought behind not playing him anymore. Season's lost. You know, keep him. Well, he's the runner, year. and we know they don't want to run the football, Mike Gallagher. Well, that's fair enough. Anyway, this is going to be an absolute destruction. Uh, maybe the most lopsided game of the season. And I will have a seen... bold prediction on it. Let's okay. just go. We've already okay. seen VMI. It is, it is Chattanooga. Here's your breakdown. Chattanooga slaps the Terriers around. We move on. VMI beat Mercer by 38. Chat beat Sanford by 42. I think it's going to be more than that. Um, I don't see any weaknesses in Chat. I think they're right on par with ETSU. So Chat's going to be 5-1. and one. Let's look elsewhere because, yes, I mean, there's really nothing to break down there, right? The Citadel and Sanford, obviously the most contrasting of styles of every matchup in the league. Any disagreement from you on that? No. I mean, any <laughs> by styles far, by across far. the no. entire board, right? Okay. Sanford, high scoring. Citadel, not. Sanford, no rushing. Citadel, tons. Bottom and top in the league, respectively, in that category. Sanford passing. Citadel, not. Top and top in the league, respectively, in terms of um, fewest uh, passing yards because I say top and top because Citadel doesn't want to pass the ball, so they view that as a good thing that they're lowest in the league in passing yards. Uh, Sanford, obviously, highest in the league in passing yards. A couple of areas where they are the same, and this is the difference between the Citadel this year and the Citadel other years. Their defense, scoring-wise, is nearly as bad as Sanford. 35 a game to 39 a game allowed. Just not good. You can't win playing the style the Citadel does without a stout defense. They've been anything but. Both pass defenses are not good, allowing over 230 yards per game. Sanford up near 275. I see zero way that the Citadel keeps this close. The only thing I'll throw out there is that it's Sanford. It's the only thing I – and if Citadel can just stick with whatever they're doing and not try to, like, somehow score – 40 points on a few plays and just keep running the ball. Probably Webb. 240 Sanford, yards on three catches. Three yard touchdown. The only reason I don't think it could – would it shock me if it's a massive blowout? No. Do I think Citadel's going to win the game? No. 
But would it shock me if we're sitting here going, Sanford won 31-28? No, it wouldn't shock me at all because I would have thought they would have steamrolled Wofford and couldn't, and Wofford ran all over the place on them. So I think the Citadel is going to be able to run the football. I think Citadel is going to be able to probably put three, four touchdowns on the board. So I think it will be closer to a 35-24 game or something like that. I do think Sanford's going to win. I have zero faith right now in the Citadel getting this particular win, but it wouldn't shock me if this game is closer than what everyone would think it would be because that's just who Sanford is. Sanford tops in the league in the red zone offensively, 38-41, 93%. They've been there 15 more times in the Citadel, and even if the Bulldogs get there, they're 19-26, of 73% last in the league. They've converted 19 times half the amount of Sanford. Again, I think this is going to be ugly. I'd be surprised if I'm wrong, but you're right. Typically when we think that and you have teams that tend to play close games, it does tend to be close. Uh, this one is down in Birmingham, so the Citadel will have to go on the road and make that long trip. Uh, we'll see what happens. Don't look now, but the team tied for fifth, Jay Sandoz, behind all of the conference title contenders, is Western Carolina. They put up 40-plus the last two weeks, and they've done it with two different quarterbacks. Tell me the last time that you saw a team, if you ever have, win back-to-back Southern Conference Offensive Player of the Week awards with two different quarterbacks. It doesn't have to even be Southern Conference. When have you ever seen that across all of college football? Two different yeah. quarterbacks, back-to-back weeks, on the same team, winning conference player of the week awards. That is strange. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I think Udinsky won it the week of the Sanford when he tore his ACL, and you'd have to do some quick research because mm-hmm. Seth did have a good game. But that was – and both were injuries. I mean, I mean, Rogan Wells coming off an injury. Other than that quick off the top of my head, I can't think of another instance where – I've seen anything like that where you just put another guy in besides, again, the VMI the week before, or last year, I should say. I've, I've never seen where you can just throw one guy in and throw 350, put another guy in. Hey, guess what? He threw for 350. I mean, just not miss a beat. What's And then Wells is, can run the ball. Yeah. So it's even more dangerous for the Paladins. Boy, I watched. Yeah, I know we did the breakdown, but my goodness, that was an ugly game. And I do think Furman will have some success because Western cannot stop the run. And I know Furman had lots of injuries in the running game. If they get a couple of those guys back, I think they can run the ball. I think this will be a entertaining. And I know Furman has struggled to score, but again, Western gives up points. I think this could be a highly entertaining, besides the ETSU VMI game, I think this will be the second most entertaining game. And if you can stand looking at two purple teams, um, and that's in Cullowee, right? So it's always tough to win there. I think Western Carolina is going to be smoking hot when ETSU goes to Cullowee, and they're on an upswing, and Furman is just struggling right now to have any offense. Their defense, if their defense can contain Western, then they got a shot. Western's been good. I mean, think about – the game they had the the shootout with Sanford, just about one. You know, it was a tie game with Mercer to last five minutes. Now Mercer got two touchdowns last five minutes to win by fourteen, but they were right there. I mean, that was a situation where, you know, that was tied five minutes ago. So Western at home has been able to do some things. The win on the road was eye opening last week. I know it was Wofford, but that was eye opening to see what numbers they were able to put up 
But I think this is going to be a highly entertaining game. I think Furman will be able to score. I just don't know if they can keep – and I, I didn't think I would say this. I don't know that they can keep up with Western Carolina. Western's offense is rolling. I agree with you. This is the best game of the weekend outside of VTSU and VMI. I do fear a little bit for the Buccaneers because that would be a three-game win streak for Western Carolina and just brimming with confidence. Best thing for the Bucks, and this would be Furman yeah, winning absolutely. the game. I there's, mean, if, if you're no an question. ETSU fan, I think you turn into a Paladin fan. And, I, and again, I, I don't – it's not out of the realm that Furman – I think because, you know, the second-worst rushing defense giving up 230 yards is Western Carolina. And I think Furman is going to run the ball. I think they'll get some play action. I think Furman, this could be one of their highest-scoring games of the year. I think this will be a shootout where I know Furman struggled against CTSU's defense, Chattanooga's defense. This is a whole different animal, Western Carolina's defense. Now, where Western is way ahead from where we thought they would be on offense – they're still behind on defense. And, yes, they were able to hold the anemic Terriers down. But other than that, they have given up a ton of yards and points. So I believe this will be a shootout, and Furman will be able to score 28-31, something like that. Will, they, will their defense be able to disrupt Western Carolina and hold them under 30 will be the biggest question. I absolutely hate this matchup for Furman. Absolutely hate it. The Paladins are averaging. Just because you points. hate Furman. Well, I don't hate Furman. I know it seems that way this year. I, I just don't like the team this year. I just don't think they're good. They're averaging 13 points per game the last three. Not sure if they're going to have Devin win or not. If they do, that'll obviously that would be huge. Be helpful. If they got him. Absolutely. Yeah, because he, I mean, is he going to run for 200? I mean, I, I think it's guaranteed a 100-yard game for win, pushing 150, maybe even 200. I think that may be the only way that they're going to be able to keep pace if they don't have him. And I like Devin Abrams, and Dominic Roberto is fun to watch because he can just rumble, and he's got a little bit of deceptive speed. That's all great. Uh, I really do worry for the Paladins in this game. If they can keep it under 30, they have a chance. If it's over 30, no shot. I I think this is a perfect game for Furman to get right for the simple reason they'll be able to run the football, and their best passing is off the play action. That's fair. And I think if they can get some big chunk plays in the run game, a couple play actions, and Ron Miller will be doing Ron Miller things. And I think that's why I think Furman has a – first of all, this is the most 50-50 game of the week. I I think even more so than than, than ETSU VMI. And I know because Western's hot. I get that. Furman's lost two in a row. But Furman has played ETSU and Chattanooga their last two games. So I I just think we should tamp down a little bit of the – the sky's falling on Furman. I do think that they're going to have to establish the run because if they don't, if Western sells out and stops the run, which they've not been able to do this year, and then Jace Wilson's not able to play action, then Western Carolina will absolutely eat Furman alive. Same token, I think Furman can cause some turnovers at Western. I think Western's going to score. I think this is a, an entertaining game. I would – I'm going to go on record and say I think Western is going to win a shootout by a field goal. But, again, I, this isn't one of those where I'm, like, rubber stamping the, the, the lock of the century or something. I mean, well, I, it would not. this would not shock me if 14-17 point win by Western, and it honestly wouldn't shock me if it was a 14-point win by Furman. That I, would shock me. I, I don't, you make a great point. I, I don't think it would. You make a great point about Furman. They only lost those last two games against what we are chronicled as saying are the two best teams in the league. 
And you weren't destroying well, yeah, those. Exactly, well, that's what I'm saying. By what? 10 against Chad. What was the score? 17-13 against ETSU. So yeah, it was a last-second touchdown in there. It was 13-3. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're I just right. – And those are the two best defenses. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you look no, at the rush right. defenses, let me just – real quick, I can scroll down here. I'm on the page. So, rush defense for Chattanooga's giving up 106 yards, ETSU 132. Top two in the league. Okay. You combine that, that's 232. That's, that's Western's almost giving that up by themselves. You're right. So that that's why Furman, I think if you're a Paladin fan and you're starting to, to jump ship a little bit, I would just say, hang on. If you can get – now, when is he, if Wynn's out, I still want them to commit to the run with Abrams. Uh, I love Roberto, too, honestly. Um, you like big guys he, that can do anything. I, I do, I do. He looks like a little fire hydrant running down the field. <laughs> but if you could give those guys the football and get the run game going, and I think Jace Wilson on a rollout and options, I think, my goodness, I think they could do – some damage, and I think this game will be highly, and I'm actually glad because I think this game will be two contrasting styles where it will work, where the Sanford Citadel is two contrasting styles that won't work. It will be Sanford lambasting Citadel, unless Sanford turns into Sanford and gives up 20-point leads and hangs on for a victory, but I think this one, when I go back and watch it next week because Western's next opponent, I think it will be an entertaining game, but again... I think it could fluctuate 14 points either way, but I see this being like a 34-31 Western win at home. You've got Furman fans jumping off the ship. What if I want to swim back to the ship and climb aboard? Will you allow me? Because I, I think you've won me over a little bit to think that this is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a close game. I was rowing away. Let me back on. Um, it's going to be a very good contest. So is ETSU VMI, the other two I just... I, God, but I, I will say this. We, we were on the, the, the Western would give you problems, right, from the beginning. We I, I think we both were like, hey, we don't see wins maybe, but these are going to be dogfights. No now that they're winning, this is the most dangerous team because they've got nothing to lose and they can wreak some havoc uh, the last three weeks in the Southern Conference, starting with Furman, and then obviously next week ETSU. No conscience. Just no conscience. They don't care in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Way, right? what, like, I mean, we're, we're just getting better. We're just getting better. Right. We weren't going to – we were picked dead last what a week here, right? Yep. So, all right, that's our uh, segment. What do we got next? Basketball after this. Timeout, San Jose Psychic Buckner Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. and his sidekick. We're over here still yelling about Thunder, West Carolina during the break. All right, let's move on to this is your segment here. I'm just here for the ride. The Buck, Buck Basketball Buzzer Beater Blowout. Bonanza. Blue Nanza. Something. All right, what do we I'm so excited. I am so excited. Uh, remember. Oh, hold on. Is this, this 16 17, right? It's 16, I have one question. You did not go back and pull the UC Irvine game, did you? Oh, no. That's where the voice was out. Uh, um, no. 
where I, where I was in Audible at some point, and the, and, and the Milwaukee play-by-play guy g- gave me the bullpen thing, and I uh, almost let him finish the broadcast because I was done. No, I had no voice. I have it? heard audio from that. It is okay. I, no, I'm glad you don't have it. I'm no. just asking if you did have. It. I was trying to prepare, maybe I'll, prepare myself. Maybe no, I'll please don't. Pull it at some point. Please don't. Um, keep in mind, just want to go over the rules of this one more time. A basketball buzzer beater blowout, where you have to be tied or behind within the last 20 seconds of a game and make a shot from open play to qualify. So far, I think we're through like 10 years of 100 percent. Apparently, Jay Santos has found no other buzzer beaters that I have missed. There have been no disputes, which is rare for this show. We've had some doozies in this segment, and as we sit here and recap. Yet another year of the 15 we're covering in this feature. We sit, Jay Sandos, just eight days. Eight days Woo. from ETSU men's basketball's season opener, official season opener, of course. Keep in mind, exhibition one week from the opener tomorrow. We have coverage in Buccaneers Sports Network starting at 6.30, 7 o'clock tip. Next week, I do want to remind fans before we get into this 2016-17, we do have full season previews of the Southern Conference. On Monday, we will do the women because they open their season on Tuesday. On Thursday, we will do the men. Both are ready, prepared, set, and it is a bumper-to-bumper, front-to-back, ceiling-to-floor, sky-to-ground. Two-hour podcast, man. It might be, honestly. We'll have to take it in segments. It might might be, yeah. It really might be because it's crossover season, and when you have these, like, 45, 50-minute previews, plus you got football, we obviously just went 40 minutes on ETSU versus VMI. If that's the case next week, too, it's going to be jam-packed, no question. Aside from all that, we still got a ways to go. In terms of covering up to the current day, we'll cover it all. Don't worry. It may take those two-hour shows, but we'll do it. This season, in this 2016-17 year that we're talking about, about as memorable as they come. This was the year before I arrived here at ETSU, Jay Santos. And I'll fill in some more blanks here on why it was so memorable, though I'm sure I don't have to tell Buck fans why. Let's talk about the road to getting to the memorable portion of the season. We were just over a month into the season. ETSU was 7-1 and going into a road stretch that was – Maybe not quite as brutal as the last one that we talked about, the 2015-16 trifecta of impossible, Villanova, Georgia Tech, Charleston Southern. Happy with the win. The Bucks got one. It was over Georgia Tech. Smiles all around, right? Well, this year it was Dayton, Mississippi State, Moorhead State. Dayton was a tournament team that year. Moorhead State wasn't quite the Moorhead State we know now. Um, really, Moorhead State was bad up until last year. It was Preston Spradlin's interim year that season for Moorhead. Anyway, I still think you come out of this three-game stretch, Dayton, Mississippi State, Moorhead State, with one win, and you're like, okay, probably what you expected. Well, you lost to Dayton by 14, but going into Mississippi State, a team already featured once on this count-up to the season, you had to be feeling enough. Pull-up jumper off the rim, no good. David Burrell, 10, no good. Perea lays it up, 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win! Oh, game! East Tennessee State, for the second time in his many trips, comes into Starkville and leaves the faithful unhappy. Mascara Perea taps in the game winner, 67-65. Actually, it was three in a row. I had to do research yep. later. It's because I wasn't uh, I wasn't the play-by-play guy. The pre- I'd only done the two, but three in a row in Starkville. Yeah, as we talked about in the 2010-11 season in which Michael Williams had the game winner, it's... Three straight against Mississippi State. I thought it would be a runaway for longest active streak of wins against a Power 5 team for the Bucs. It's actually tied. Can you name the other team that the Bucs have won three in a row against that is a Power 5 squad? Wow. Three in a row, other Power 5 squad. Oof. Before your time uh, as a play-by-play man as well. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, man, just a 
shot in the dark NC State. Ah! Was it? Yes! 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 <laughs> Yes! 1987-92, they played four times, won the last three, have not played since. What is it? Because you called a couple of games now against Mississippi State, which the Bucs have won. What is it about the Bulldogs that make them ETSU's punchy? Again, and the funny thing is it's been different coaches. At least with the NC State scenario, Les Robinson was the head coach, beat NC State twice. Then he flipped, took the NC State job. The very next year, his – Pro J. Allen LaForce beat his team. So at least there was some sort of similarity of something. NC or Mississippi State's had three different coaches and three different ETSU coaches that have beat them. So I don't know. Sometimes there is, you know me, I'm a big believer in like just matchups and way certain things go. I don't know. There's just certain teams, evidently. It's it's almost like Tennessee baseball. They they you know, you look at that, they're barely five hundred against ETSU and non conference games, and that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, in the scheme of budgets and, and College World Series appearances and all that other stuff. Same thing, Mississippi State doesn't make any sense. They should be running away with, um, you would assume, uh, basketball versus ETSU. But the Bucks always seem to play well in Starkville. They always seem to just hang around enough and then at the very end get some game-winning buckets. But uh, it, very different type of games than, than we saw a perimeter-based game with the Michael Williams, the post was much more present Mississippi State as it seemed like they were a little thin and had – it always seems like there's controversy when we go to Mississippi State too. Whether a guy's coming off some sort of suspension or some academic – I, mean, I guess it's just good scheduling to get them right around the time when somebody could be uh, coming off an injury or academic problems. Before we talk about the rest of the year, Hunter Mascara Perea. Now, this is another man, much like Jelon Gwynn, that we talked about, I believe it was – Last show, right? Yeah, last show when he had the two buzzer beaters only Buccaneer in this count-up to the season to have multiple buzzer beaters in the same season. I hear so much about Mascara Perea and Jelon Gwynn, and maybe it's the fact that this call, if you're a Santos and the Psychic fan, you also hear every day in the intro to the show. You've now heard it 244 times. We just gave you the full well, and, call. And a guy that you didn't hear a lot about because he didn't hit a lot of game-winning shots or anything, but Tevin Glass was another one-year guy on that team as well. So Mascara Perea had the red shirt after transferring over – He's on the floor just one year. Transfer from Indiana, only the fifth leading scorer on that team. Defensive presence at the rim, yeah, led the team in block, shot a high percentage. Key piece to an incredible team, but I was, again, surprised. Much like Jelon Gwynn, one year guy. So, but the the difference, Jelon got the waiver and played one year. Tevin Glass transferred from Wichita State with so Steve he was Forbes. Here, he, he sat. sat. Right, he had that red shirt. Mascara Perea also sat because back then it wasn't popular for a guy to sit to play one, sit one, play one. That's generally not what guys did, but both those guys were able to sit and then play one extra year. So they got to be roommates. They got to learn the system. So I think, you know, where where G-Line was just an incredible scorer, and as a point guard where he had the ball in his hands, it was easy for him to kind of adapt and go. For post players, for them to sit, kind of learn, get the system, I think it was – very incredible what they do. And then Muscara Perea was 6'9", with a wingspan of like 7'2", something crazy. Uh, had the big faux hawk. I mean, it was, uh, you know, and he, he, the frosted tip faux hawk thing. I mean, just looked menacing, honestly. Um, and then Tevin Glass was just a workhorse. I mean, just for an example, in that game, you know, he, he was one for five shooting. That's about what Tevin Glass would do shooting back then. But he had seven big rebounds. He was tied, him and Muscara Perea, as the leading rebounder. And 
Tevin Glass could change. Him and Perea could change shots at the rim. I mean, it was just – they were unique because I don't know that I, we've ever had in ETSU's history two guys come sit their senior year to then play their redshirt senior year. So I thought that's what was unique about that group and that those guys were willing to do that and to sit and wait. And then for Coach to burn a couple scholarships, knowing that you know they were going to – play with just 11 scholarships the, the previous year. I think that's interesting, too. Totally worth it, because that squad would then be Moorhead State. Almost upset Tennessee at home right before Christmas. Go on to win 14 regular My TV season debut. league games. Oh, really? Across the state. Nice. Yeah. Attaboy. Yeah. 14 regular season league games were won. Sweep your way through the Southern Conference postseason, beating Mercer, Stanford, UNCG, back-to-back-to-back days. Make the NCAA tournament that technically the last one the Buccaneers have appeared in. Of course, 2020 robbed. It was a qualification, but not an appearance because of COVID. But a season, I think, that if you weren't convinced that Steve Forbes was going to do impressive things with this program right when he got here, uh, obviously you were one over after that. And while it was the only NCAA appearance with Forbes here, um, a very memorable season. NCAA appearances, even for highly successful programs like ETSU, honestly don't come around that often. I mean, it's the one since, what, 2010? And obviously, again, you would have had another one in 2020, but because of some odd circumstances, you didn't get it. And so this, a very, very memorable season, maybe the most, uh, certainly one of the most in our count-up to the season. Well, the tournament run was was incredible, um, too. ETSU, and it seemed like for a while, they always seemed to be matched up with Mercer in the first round. They were the previous year, they were this year, and ETSU struggled a little bit in that one, down at half, ended up winning 73-66. Then the next game against Sanford really jumped out to a big lead because T.J. Cromer had 41 points in that game. I think it's second, I can't remember if it's the Southern Conference record or the second most points in a game, but he was 11 of 18 from the floor, 9 of 12 from three, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. The other thing I remember about that game was one of my favorite calls that I didn't know that I made, you know, like how I worded that, but um, David Burrell actually takes a power dribble from the free throw line, jumps up, and dunks all over um, uh, Alex Thompson. And you can go back on Twitter. It's out there somewhere. But uh, I, don't, I don't remember until after the game when Colin Cruz was cutting the highlights uh, one of our students at the time now actually just worked the World Series as a, a camera guy. He um, he came to me and goes, do you know what you said on that dunk on Burrell where he dunked it in the guy's face? I said, I have no idea. He said, you said something to the effect of hide the women and children. <laughs> I do not remember that whatsoever. And it was a calm Jay Sandoz. It wasn't a screaming Jay Sandoz. It was like, uh, oof, you know, hide the women and children and move on. Like it was not what. So that was one of my favorite plays that uh, you go back and watch later, but the 41 for Cromer, just an incredible display. And then you get to the championship game against UNCG, and UNCG got off to a hot start, and seven-point lead, 38-31, a technical foul, and R.J. White kind of swung a little bit of momentum going into the second half, and then the seldom, the seldom three-point shooter, although you can't convince him he wasn't a three-point shooter, Jermaine Long hits his fourth three of the year. And he attempted many. But when he hit the three right in front of me in the second half, I turned to the Westwood One guys. Uh, Brandon Godine was actually next to me. I looked at him. I said, well, it's going to be a good day. He goes, well, I said, that guy never hits one. 
<laughs> so he kind of chuckled, and then ETSU was able to win the game. And how they were able to win the game, Mike Gallagher, 19 of 19 from the free throw line. Wow. And so they erased a seven-point deficit, go up 74, uh, 79-74. Now I'm going to take you through this, this one play because this was one that college basketball, they weren't reviewing this stuff at the time, and I was going to lose my mind. So ETSU is up 75-65 with two minutes to go, and Steve Forbes does something he never does. Puts the jacket back on. Okay, the classic puts the jacket on early. 124 to go. R.J. White makes a three. ETSU gets a missed shot. Your boy Francis Alonzo. Wiser Francois. Yeah, yeah. He knocks down a triple. So now it's 75-71. They foul Cromer. Hits a couple free throws. Then all of a sudden the old Jordy Kuyper for three. It's a three-point game. And then here's the controversy. Ball thrown into uh, A.J. Merriweather. It's stolen by Deontay Baldwin. Baldwin is two feet, not one, two feet out of bounds at midcourt. Carl Hess, everyone's favorite old referee that uh, basically uh, got the Scott Pageant, the shirt, uh, you know, oh, yeah. step, come at me, bro. Step to me. Yeah, step to me, bro, whatever it was. D- doesn't see it. The, the greatest official in his own world, his own mind, is looking up instead of down. Baldwin takes two steps out of bounds, gets it over to Francois, who misses the wide open three. And my call of that is spectacular. Of the wide open three, it doesn't go in. And then I think I verbally just destroy him for everything he's worth. That he's yes, not going to sleep at night, and just and, and I didn't mean to because he was a great player and all that. That was a heat of the moment. Like you, you could not have scripted things to fall UNCG's way. You could not have scripted the two feet out of bounds and not be called. He has a shot. And then in reality, the very next year, which we'll get into next year, he slaps the Bucks around and gets revenge because in, in you know basketball has a tendency to work itself out that way. The Florida game. Here's the, the disappointing part. I, I talked about it on the last show because ETSU ended up being in the uh, 4-13 game. The 5-12 game was Virginia and Wilmington, the same one we saw earlier in the year with Kevin Keats and um, talked about that, now the NC State head coach. If that was switched, ETSU would have beat Virginia. It was a better matchup. I also think Wilmington would have had a better game versus Florida. Here's the one thing I've always said, ETSU and NCAA tournament games, and this is how and I, you can kind of go back and, and look at it and track it, a little subjective, but athleticism. When ETSU can out-athlete, okay, they're not bigger, not strong, but when they can out-athlete the teams they've played, they have made a game or been close. When they play the more athletic team, even if they're not a great basketball team, they have been beaten Now the Kentucky Right, not where they they had six guys drafted. So not only were they great basketball players, but they were athletic. Right, fair to say they got ETSU got blown out. Florida had a couple guys go pro. They had some six seven guys that were blocking shots over guys that ETSU weren't used to having blocked shots. They got out athleted. It happened. You look at the ETSU close game at Pittsburgh. ETSU you watch that game out athleted. More rebounds, more blocked shots. Everything that would say an athlete makes plays. You look at the Wake Forest game. Three-point loss. Cincinnati with Huggy Bear, a three-point loss. Oklahoma, one of the one-point loss when ETSU was a 16 seed back in the day. The three-point loss to Iowa. You look at Then they played Georgia Tech, who had an athlete, and they blew them out of the building. They play the Fab Five, they get blown out of the building. So when ETSU can get out-athleted, and again, I know it's a little subjective, but if you watch and say, okay, ETSU has some major athletes, they just don't have this 6'9 wingspan. 
But when they can out-athlete teams, they are successful in the NCAA tournament and get fits. When they get a matchup where they are getting out-athleted, then ETSU has struggled and gotten beaten double digits almost every time. That's a good blueprint. There you go. Pretty now if I could just get the committee to make sure we don't get out-athleted, <laughs> then we're good. All right, what do we got? Bowl predictions next right after. Oh, no, we don't need time. Shohei. Oh, Tony. Oh, I don't care this year. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 yards. It's a buck 20. Thank God baseball season's over. Well, there's not a I'll watch no World Series. Zero. Zero. Five, baby. Hanging in here, Robert. Wilson. Mike White. Fox. Give me another one. Townsend. Townsend. He probably had the hook on the game. He's transferring back. I'm going with that. That sounds good for 2022. All right, bold predictions. What do I got? Tell me my record again, please. 10 and 15. I didn't hear you say it again. 10 and 15. 10 and 15. What are you again? The Bucks will have a 100-yard rusher and receiver Ooh. this week. Ooh. They've done so just three times since the return of football. I already quizzed you on this, so I won't go through it again. Uh, and I got it right for the record day. again. You did. Uh, it took you a little bit of time. I did, I did, you, I, you pretty much nailed it right away. I nailed that. I, I may not have nailed the play. Uh, the margin when I struggled with the player, but everything else I nailed the player. So. 2021 Sanford, 2019 Citadel, 2018 Marshall over the three games. I was going to go two 100-yard receivers, and I quizzed you on this too, but I'll give it to the fans as well. That has happened just one time. 2017 Furman. You nailed this right away too, and you nailed the receivers. Vincent Lowe, Hunter White. White got there on two catches because he had the longest play in ETSU's offense. in screen pad, right? 78 screen pad, yeah. Yep, the second iteration of football. 78-yard catch for a touchdown. Longest play offensively. ETSU. 100-yard rusher, 100-yard receiver. This week. ETSU on this date. You know, I love the on this date. The no, Not today, but November 6th when the game's going to be played. ETSU's only win, 1948, lost to Austin P 21-7. Lost to Moorhead State, 19-7. Lost to Moorhead State, 17-7. That was in the 70s. In the 90s, lost to Marshall, 33-9. And lost to Wofford, 38-14. ETSU only scored in those last five games and losses 44 points. I am going to go. ETSU will have 44 or more points in this game to make up for the last five years of only having 44 points. They're being outscored, in case you want to know, 23 to 9 in those contests. On average, right. Yeah. Right. North Carolina, certifiably terrible at football, yes? Completely overhyped, completely underwhelmed. They are favored. I think you're, I, I think you're forgetting Mitchell Trubisky, but go ahead. They are favored. <laughs> Against undefeated Wake Forest this week. How absurd. Demon Deacons are underdogs to a 4-4 four and four team by two and a half points. They won by a touchdown or more to Wake Forest. Well, you go a step further and say Gary Downs, the running back coach's son, Josh Downs, will have a uh, touchdown catch in the game. He is incredible. an animal. He will be an NFL guy. Uh, absolutely. He's he is incredible. a mega athlete. All right, here we go. You know, I love the uh, Chattanooga Mox. <laughs> I, I, I will this what? week. 
The Chattanooga Mocs will hold Wofford to 200 or less total offense. Mm, cheering for Chattanooga. What Not cheering for, stating a fact. Stating a fact. Uh, I love Derrick Henry. I am devastated that he is gone. I had him on one of my fantasy teams, and I have moved him. I was able in a dynasty league to get Devontae Adams back. Now, if Henry's price is low for keeping him for next year, that's why I was able to do it. He'll miss, essentially, the rest of this season. Traded him for Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams will set a season high in catches. He had 12 earlier this year. He'll have 13 or more versus the Chiefs from Jordan Love. Jordan Love to Devontae Adams. The much heralded, the much feared, the much maligned combo. They will light it up against that terrible Chiefs defense. Kansas City is awful. So I, I wrote down Jordan Love says Aaron who and leads him to victory over Kansas oh, City on the oh. road. Yes. With 13 or more catches. Sounds good. Adams. Jordan Love. Jordan Love is still a uh, over a touchdown underdog on the road in Kansas City in his first start. We'll make the Packers GM look genius and ah. say bye-bye, ah. Mr. A.A. Ron. Ah. Give me 13 catches for Devontae Adams and a 45-42 loss for the Packers. Oh, oh, that's exactly terrible. what we need, baby. All right. Exactly what, what we need. What do we got Monday? We're going to talk a little ETSU football, BMI recap, Southern Conference football recap. Bump and women's and basketball preview. And, and a bold prediction recap. Five segment show. Put it the board. Yes. We're going to be a three hour podcast. Who's ready for that? Nobody. All right. Stand aside. Keep back with you on Monday. Bye, News Network. <laughs>